today we come back to uh, chapter 7. We had a sermon that uh, looked at verse 24 to 27. Today we come back to it and uh, I'll particularly want to look at verse 24 and 26. But more so verse 24 on how we can be those who hear and do the word. Please hear then God's word as I read from verse 21, not from verse 12. Matthew chapter 7. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came. And the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell. And the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. May God's name be praised for his word. Let's ask him for help as we hear this psalm. Oh Lord, we thank you so much for the privilege of your word. We realize that what we deal with when we come to your word is not just an issue of optional extras. It is a life or death proposition. If we hear and do your word, we will stand up the judgment. If we hear your word but not obey it, we deceive ourselves. And at the judgment, we will not stand. So please help us now as we ask ourselves the very serious question, how may we add obedience to the hearing of the word? Grant, O Lord that we would have Judgment Day seriousness on this matter. That, Lord, you would enable us to have eyes that see and ears that hear and wheels that submit to your revealed word. All of us are like grass. And in our glory, we are like the flowers of the field. We know that the grass withers, 
the flowers fall. But the word that you have given us abides forever. And it is to it, O Lord, it is therefore to you that we turn now. Create in us eyes that see and ears that hear for the glory of your name. We please pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Last time, as we considered this section of scripture from verse 24 to 27, we reminded ourselves that what is in view here is not just the ordinary calamities of life, because we know that on this side of eternity, there are those who disobey God's word, but who will not experience the kind of sufferings that some of the most godly saints go through. What we saw here described as in verse 25, rain and floods and wind refer to what will happen on the judgment day. And on that day, each house will be tested. And it is as if the author here, it's as if what God gives us in verse 25 is surprise, surprise, in spite of this bombardment, the house built on rock stands. It does not fall. Behold, it does not fall. Because it is a house built on the rock. And the sermon on the mount concludes with those very solemn words. Great was the fall of it. Quite a way to conclude a summer. And so we see there that here, verse 25, rather verse 26, is not enough if you do not obey. And so today, coming back to this section, having seen the solemn nature of the requirement to hear and to obey, my goal is to ask the question, how may we become those who hear and do God's word? Now, last time we said, it is impossible for us to hear and to do unless the, the Lord Jesus Christ changes our heart. And so we go back to that foundation. The way for us to be true hearers and doers of the word is to have a change of heart. And that change of heart occurs when one turns to the Lord Jesus Christ, when one turns to God through the Lord Jesus Christ and says, Heavenly Father, save me. Take away this heart of stone and give me a heart that delights in doing your will. I cannot obey you unless you change my heart. That, ladies and gentlemen, is the starting place. 
And having started there, allow me then to address myself to those who are in the Lord Jesus Christ, who by God's grace are saved. How may we add to the hearing of God's words obedience? How may we be those who are described here as wise people? How would we show ourselves to be wise people because of not just hearing, but doing God's word? As I thought about this, I thought about Hebrews chapter 12. In Hebrews chapter 12, we are told that we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. The great cloud of witnesses together with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who's gone ahead of us, are all telling us, consider us. And they are telling us also, continue on. Consider us and continue on. Continue on in this race. Remember the Lord Jesus Christ, who for the joy set before him, endured the cross. Spawned its shame. And now there is in store for him. Rather, and now he has a name that is above every other name. Let's consider him. And let's continue the, consider the crowd of witnesses, those brothers and sisters who've gone ahead of us. And many of them are recorded for us in the scriptures. Let us consider them. And let us continue on. So I thought of an arena where we are running this marathon, dear saints. And as we are running this marathon, God is pleased to send to us one of his saints from the stands where they are seated. And we know they are seated as this crowd of witnesses to cheer us on, to tell us, consider the Lord Jesus Christ and consider what he has done in and for and through us and continue on. And one of these saints comes down to run a lap with you as you run that 10,000 meter race. One of the saints comes down to run a lap or so with you and to talk to you about God's dealings with him with regards to this issue of not just being a hearer and a doer. And so you are running and you're feeling you're running out of breath. You feel there is much more hearing and very little doing in your life and you're wondering, oh God, how may I add to my hearing obedience? And as you're running and you're running out of breath, you hear the feet of an encouraging saint running next to you. And you turn behind and you catch a glimpse of this dear brother who wrote Psalm 119. You don't have a lot of time with him. It is a lap. 
And so you want to get as much as you can get from him as you consider him so that you can continue on. And so in this one lap, as you run with the author of Psalm 119, there's going to be a lot of consideration concerning his life with regard to the scriptures. And hopefully the impact of that is going to be that you will grow in obedience. Because the distinctive between the fool and the wise is not hearing. It is obedience. And so you want to add to your hearing obedience. And God has been pleased to give you Psalm 119. So you are running. And as you are running around this one lap, you remember how Psalm 119 is uniquely placed as a star in the skies. A star of unique magnitude to give you spiritual revelation on the doctrine of the word of God. All the Psalms are stars in the sky. Indeed, the entire Holy Writ consists of stars, beautiful stars in the sky. But Psalm 119 shines in a way that sets it apart. The dazzle, the brightness, of Psalm 119 with regards to the doctrine of Scripture stands out. So your moment with the author of Psalm 119 is precious. David or whoever it is who wrote it seems to have been a constant reader of the Scriptures. And he not only read the Scriptures, he seemed to have kept a diary, a journal, a logbook, of his prayers in response to God's word. This psalm, Psalm 119, I don't know how many pages it is in your Bible. In mine, it is nine pages, the longest chapter in the Bible. It is almost twice the length of the second longest chapter. It is divided into 22 parts, each of the 22 parts begins with a Hebrew letter. The 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet begin each of the sections. In the English translations, you'd not see that, but Aleph would begin each of the eight verses of verse 1 to 8. And then the next eight verses would begin with Beth. And so the 22 Hebrew letters of the Hebrew alphabet. Eight verses in each part. And each section of the alphabet, each section beginning with the, the, the first word of the, of the alphabet of that section. It is sort of an acrostic written for you to remember the psalm, so that when you remember verse 1 to 8 is Aleph, then you'd ask yourself, okay, so what's the first verse 
of Psalm 119 or those first verses, blessed are those whose way is blessed. And then maybe that would aid you to remember the, the remaining seven verses because each of the remaining would begin with, with Aleph. Written in a way that is to aid memorization and remembering. 176 prayers in this chapter. And so you are thinking, okay, this psalmist had 176 short prayers in response to God's word. And you're asking yourself, how do I pray in response to God's word? How do I usually pray in response to God's word? The psalmist here has 176 different responses to God's word. Wow. Such dealings of grace by God in his life. And the way he has structured it, God wants us to know that this psalm is not to be ignored. The acrostic in the Hebrew alphabet means that it is to be known, and beyond being known, it is to be remembered. And so now you are thinking about which questions do I ask the psalmist? And before you ask, you would see them. You realize that the psalmist was a man who honored God's word. Observe how God's word is referred to honorably by the psalmist. Psalm 119 shows us how God's word is excellent. This psalm stands out in a way that tells us, see the wonder and the excellence of God's word. The purpose of this psalm is to move you to want to search the scriptures. It is written in a way that appeals to your heart. It is written in a way that shows you how excellent and how pleasurable God's word is so that you can pursue it. And throughout the entire psalm, each of the 100 and, well, of the 176 verses, 175 of them, with the exception of verse 122, will use 10 different words in describing God's word. And so the psalmist tells you, observe how God's word must be honored. You must honor God's word if you are ever going to keep it. The psalmist says in verse 1, blessed are those whose way is blameless. To walk in the law, where you describe the fact, and it doesn't look obvious, but this is a description of the scriptures. It is the way 
ultimately fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ who is the way. And God's word, the psalmist to tell you, is the law. Law means you need to approach it as the word of a sovereign. It is a royal law. It is royalty that gives laws. Do you see God's word as the way? Do you see God's word as the law? Do you approach God's word as the only way? As do you approach it as royal law? Verse 2, he says that God's word there described is testimonies. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart. So he says, when you come to God's word, realize that God is testifying. And sort of reminds me of 1 John 5. If we believe the testimony of men, how much more the testimony of God? Who cannot lie? This is God testifying. He is testifying as to what is the truth. Indeed, as to who is the truth. As to what is his will, when you come to scriptures, you're coming to the testimony of God. Another word he uses in verse 4, you have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. He says God's word is precepts. God prescribes what you are to do. And what you are not to do, the fact that God's word is a prescription surely means you cannot ignore it. How do you handle prescriptions? Do you receive a prescription when you are sick to the point of death? And then you begin saying, uh, I will disregard this. I will disregard this on no, on no basis. We don't do that. And that's human prescription. How much more the precepts, the prescription of God. The psalmist to tell you, by God's grace, I have come to see, verse 5, that God's word, uh, his statutes, oh, that my ways may be steadfast, in keeping your statutes. The word stationary or something that is not moving in one place has the same root as statute. God's word is not changing. It is permanent. It is immovable. It is immutable. And so the psalmist would say, see God's word. There's a statute, something that does not change. The psalmist will tell you, verse 6, see God's word as commandments. Do you, do you see God's word as commandments? When you come to the scriptures, do you realize you're coming to the commandments of God? Then I shall not be put to shame, having my eyes fixed on all your commandments. 
the scriptures come to us with the authority of commandment. The author of Psalm 119, in that one lap you are having with him this afternoon, is telling you this is not a book of suggestions. This is a book of commandments. God is not suggesting stuff to you. He is giving you commandments. Verse 7, come to God's word with honor, recognizing that it is a book of his righteous rules. I will praise you with an upright heart. Verse 7, when I learn your righteous rules. The scripture declares God's rules. Some translations would use judgments in every situation. The scriptures should therefore form us with regards to how we judge things, recognizing that it judges us right now and it will judge us on the day of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We are told in verse 9 that another word used to honorably describe scripture is your word. He says, how can a young man keep his way pure? Verse 9. By guarding it according to your word. The word, word, is a declaration of the fact that what we are dealing with here is the mind of God. The Bible declares God's mind. It reveals ultimately the living word who is the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 30 would tell us another honorable term that the psalmist used in his view of scripture. He calls it the way of faithfulness. I have chosen the way of faithfulness. I have set your rules before me. God's word, he will tell you during that one lap, is built upon eternal truth in the quicksands, in the vicissitudes, in the changing currents of this world. The scriptures are an impregnable and a stable rock. The psalmist has this high view of scripture. Verse 40, we see him saying that God's word talks about his righteousness. Behold, I long for your precepts in your righteousness. God's word is referred to as righteousness because everything in it, everything in God's word is holy and just and good. Only this book can tell us what is true and what is good and what is beautiful. These ten different words were and are those that the psalmist puts forth honorable terms to describe God's word. The psalmist is showing you and showing me in this one lap that God's word is excellent. And as we look at him as we are doing this one lap, 
surely we must be ashamed. Surely we must be embarrassed with ourselves as we think about how many books of the Bible David had. Very few books compared to us. The Pentateuch, the first five books, Joshua, Judges, perhaps Job. And that may be all. That's all he had, and yet he so highly honored, he so deeply loved God's word. He says in verse 97, concerning these few books he had, it is my meditation all day long. We have the complete canon. We have the entire Bible. He was living at the dawn of revelation. We are living at a time when we have the entire revelation. And yet with the little he had, he could write this psalm, Psalm 119, extolling the wonder of God's word. Do you have the same kind of appreciation for the scriptures? Do you have the same kind of appreciation that the author of Psalm 19 had for the portion of scripture that he had? He writes 176 prayers in response to the word. If your prayers concerning God's word were to be written down, how would they compare? How would they compare to David's high view of the Bible? David loved his Bible. How much more should we, who have seen the entire unfolding, the, the entire rather uh, scripture of God, should we not, like David, be able to say Psalm 119, verse 97, Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all day long. David loved the scriptures. And you look at Psalm 119, if you are there, you just see how beautifully he expresses his love and honor to God with regards to the word. The psalmist looks at it in verse 2 and he says, Hey, those who keep his testimonies are blessed. Therefore, I'm going to keep his testimonies. In verse 16, he says he will give himself to the scriptures because he knows, verse 2, those who keep God's word are blessed. He prays in verse 18 that he may be helped to understand. A little more on that coming later. He prays in verse 28 that he may be strengthened. He prays in verse 35 that he may be helped to obey the scriptures. He prays in verse 46, knowing how beautiful the scriptures are, that he will not keep it to himself. He prays. In verse 51, that he will speak the scriptures in spite of persecution. 
he prays in verse 63, saying his closest friends will be those who keep God's word. He says in verse 72, nothing, absolutely nothing, is as precious to him like the word. Verse 72, the law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. This is the heart of that brother who is doing a lap with you. And if we are going to be those who become the wise people described in Matthew 7, verse 25, surely, we must trust in the Lord Jesus Christ to do that work he did in the psalmist, in and for and through us. He says in verse 76 and in verse 82 that the scriptures comfort him. They comfort him. When he goes through the challenges of life, God's word comforts him. He says in verse 95 that opposition will not remove him from the scriptures. Because in verse 97, he loves God's word too much. After all, verse 105, another known verse, God's word will guide him through life. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. God's word helps him to turn away from vain thinking. Verse 128. God's word, verse 140, 160, and many other places would show that it is wonderful and pure and true and everlasting. And so in verse 162, he says, I rejoice at your word. Like one who finds great spoil, I hate and abhor falsehood, but I love your law seven times a day. I praise you for your righteous rules. Great peace of those who love your law. Nothing can make them stumble. Dear brothers and sisters, Ladies and gentlemen, remembering that the issues of Matthew chapter 7 onwards, 24 onwards, are matters of life and death with regards to whether we obey or not God's word, then we can say that the Bible and how we handle it Marks, marks us out as either true Christians or fake Christians. And on the day of judgment, the true Christians will be separated from the fake because the rain will come. And the houses on the outside may look the same. We all are members of Trinity Baptist Church. Look the same completely. The houses may be seated next to one another. But on that day, when the pressure of judgment day comes, we will know 
truth from falsehood. This is a birthmark of a Christian. He loves God's word. Any profession of faith that is not matched by a love for the word or an appetite for the word is a profession of faith that should concern us. I think, on the other hand, to encourage those with weak professions, a weak profession, which, on the other hand, is accompanied by a deep love for God's word, is a safe profession. It is safer and better than a bold profession that is not accompanied by a love for God's word. So we have seen the attitude of this psalmist that we are running with. He honored God's word. Quickly as we draw now towards end, let's observe three behaviors that the psalmist had with regards to God's word. The psalmist tells you, by God's grace, I was keen to understand the Bible. And we'll see that in verse 73. His prayer in verse 73 shows us something that the psalmist recognizes. He recognizes that understanding the scriptures is God's gracious gift. It is not a mere intellectual pursuit. It is not something that rides on the type of personality you are. It is not the outcome of your socialization. He prays in verse 73, Give me understanding. Give me understanding. In other words, I don't have it. Oh God, give me understanding that I may learn your commandments. Obeying God's word requires that you understand it. And if you remember the parable of the four different types of ground that the seed fell upon, the rocky ground is described as that type of ground that receives the seed, but for lack of understanding it, the enemy comes and takes it away. Do not allow yourself, dear saint, to be comfortable when you don't understand the word. Do not be comfortable. Seek out the counsel of the pastors, the counsel of brothers in the fellowship, sisters in the fellowship, and ask, what does this mean? What does this mean? Don't allow yourself to drive all the way, ride all the way from wherever you come from, come to church, and you hear, and you're not hearing, and you are happy as you go home. Grab a brother and a sister in between the services, at the end of the service, and say, this is embarrassing, but what was that about? I thought nothing. I need help. Understanding God's word is important. If you do not, the fowler steals the word. And understanding is a gift. It's a gift of grace, and so we pray, give me understanding. 
The psalmist tells you, when I come to God's word, I pray, give me understanding. He prays in verse 169, give me understanding according to your word. Six times in this psalm, the author cries for understanding. It is a repeated prayer as he searches scripture. And his desire when it comes to give me understanding is not only so that he may learn or only so that he may know. Because verse 34 seems to tell us God will not give us understanding if our goal is not to obey the word. He says in verse 34, give me understanding. Why? Why give me understanding? For entertainment? To check a box? To be able to brag in our book club? To be able to walk with my neck high and my shoulder square in the fellowship? Is that why we want understanding? No. He says, give me understanding that I may keep your law and observe it. How? With, whole, with, with my whole heart. In verse 27, he says, make me understand the way of your precepts. And what will he do with that understanding? And I will meditate on your wondrous works. So we recognize that understanding is a gift that unless God gives us, we will not have with regards to scripture. But we also see that understanding is not for entertainment. It is for empowerment. It is for me to be able then to do God's bidding. It is for me then to be able to meditate on his word. If you come to the word merely to know it, you will be disappointed. If you come to it prayerfully because you want to do it, to meditate on God and his works, you will not be disappointed. The psalmist to tell you, you will not be disappointed. So may we say that a defect in spiritual understanding would be as a result of a defect or even a lack of prayers with regards to the scriptures. An unwillingness to do what the scripture says could lead to this book being shut to us. Has not God said in James that if we lack wisdom, we ask? And he says, but if we doubt, we will not receive wisdom. How is doubt at times demonstrated? Doubt may be demonstrated by telling God, first of all, tell me what you intend to tell me, then I will think about whether we'll obey it or not. This book will be shut for you. But if you come to it saying, God, I'm permitted to do what you want me to do. Tell me what you want me to do. This book will be open. person who prayerfully comes to the word with a desire to obey it will soon testify of an understanding that is greater than that of the teachers and greater 
than that of the ancients. And that he says in verse 99 and in verse 100. It's not on the slide, but there he says, I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. And this is not to be wrongfully used during exams. That's not the purpose of that. Before you start doing the exam, you decree and declare that you have more understanding than the lecturer. That's not the purpose of that verse, so don't misuse it. I, have, I understand more than the agent, but I keep your precepts. Do you see keeping is linked to understanding? He says, I understand more than the agent because I keep the law. The psalmist would tell you, by God's grace, I understood the word. But then you would also tell you, by God's grace, I held on to the word. I memorized the word. This is a thing that is hardly practiced today. But the psalm, this psalm teaches us this subject. In verse 11, he says, I have stored up your word in my heart. I have stored up your word in my heart. Dear brothers and sisters, you cannot always have a printed copy of scripture before you in the office as you travel and as you go through life. But in all situations of life, whether we have the printed word or not, we need to obey it. How will we be able to obey what we have not stored up? And so the psalmist stored up God's word in his heart. What is our motive in memorizing? The psalmist had a strong motive in memorizing, and perhaps that accounts for why we don't memorize. I don't memorize because I don't have a strong motive. But if you look at the psalmist in verse 93, he gives a strong motive. A strong motive for memorizing. There he says, I will never forget your precepts. Why? For by them you have given me life. He sees what God's word has done to him. The Lord has regenerated me. He's brought me to saving faith. Faith came by hearing and by hearing the word. Look at what God has done in my life through his word. Surely if he has done all this through his word, I want to keep his word in my heart. I will not forget his prison. So as we are jogging, we are asking him, so what was your technique? What was your technique in memorizing? Would you, would you, would you, you know, rant out several times, you know, repeat the verse 60 times, write it down, uh, think about it in, in color. What was your technique, psalmist? And he would take you to verse 16. And he would tell you the technique I used is available to all of us. It's not just for those who have a five-talent mind and uh, not available to those who have a one-talent mind. He says, my technique in memorizing was loving God's word. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. 
the person who delights himself in the Bible will find that memorizing it is easy. Where we struggle with memorization, more often than not, the issue is not that we are anemic mentally. The issue is that we don't delight in it. We have memorized very complex numbers. Some of you have memorized three phone numbers that belong to you, the phone number of, of your parents, the phone number of your children. You have memorized your bank account numbers. You've memorized the, the electricity meter number. You still can remember the electricity meter number of your two former houses. Your former landlord calls you to ask, to ask you, by the way, what's my electricity meter number when a new tenant is moving in? So we are not weak mentally. The issue is, do we love God's word? Do we love it? If we love it, the psalmist says, if we delight in the statutes, we will not forget. And so we know what to pray for. Oh God, grant that I might delight in you. Recalibrate my taste buds towards you. The psalmist not only understood the scriptures, he not only memorized the scriptures, he meditated on it. Meditation is very closely related to memorizing, but they are not the same. Someone can memorize scripture and yet still not meditate, not chew over the scriptures, not linger on it, not reflect on it, not learn from it. When we meditate, we meditate not so much to learn it, but to love it, to grow in our love for it. Meditation, dear brothers and sisters, meditation of the scriptures, letting the word of God richly dwell in us, thinking of it all day is a sign usually of whether we love the Bible or not. In verse 48, he shows this. He tells us, I will lift up my hands toward your commandments, which I love, and I will meditate on your statutes. Or again, verse 97, which I may have already said four times in this one sermon. Oh, how I love your law. Because he loves the law. It is his meditation all day long. If you really love the Bible, you will meditate on it. And what are the fruits of meditation? If you look at verse 15, the psalmist says that meditation grants us focus. We remain on the railroad. We don't turn to the right or to the left. He says, I will meditate on your statutes and fix my eyes on your way. 
you will be less prone to detours. You will be less prone to derailing when you meditate on the word. You will respect the ways of God and keep to them. What are the fruits of meditation? Do we have verse 99, which we've already read? I have more understanding than all my teachers. Why? For your testimonies are my meditations. If you meditate on scriptures, you will not only find yourself keeping to God's will and doing it, but you will grow spiritually. You will advance in true spiritual knowledge. Dear brothers and dear sisters, as the psalmist now goes back to the tracks, as the psalmist goes back to the arena, let us be those who remember the words of Christ in Matthew 7, verse 24. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Will you be a Psalm 119 kind of Christian? Will you be a true Christian who shows himself, herself, to have a high regard for God's word? Will you see your privilege as one who has God's word? God speaks to us in ways that are accessible by us who are mere mortals. He accommodates himself. He comes down to us. And because of what the Lord Jesus Christ has done enables us to hear him. Let's please take seriously our privilege. Let's take seriously the consequences of disregarding obedience to the scriptures. And day is coming when if you disregard obedience to the scriptures, you may look as beautiful as every other house, but God knows you are a fool. You will not stand at the judgment. May the Lord help. May the Lord help us to honor him, to honor his word, to hold on to it, to heed it. May the Lord help us to be keen hearers of the word. And as I said, the way to deal with this is to go back to the cross. All of us are to go to the cross. If you've never turned to the Lord Jesus Christ, you will not be able to begin this journey. Enter by the narrow gate. Jesus Christ and him alone is the way, the truth, and the life. If you have entered by the narrow gate, you rely on the Lord Jesus Christ to keep on that journey. 